Loving God, thank you for your kindness to us tonight. Thank you for the way that you've been ministering to us. And we pray that you would continue, you would increase in what you're doing, even as I speak tonight. Help me as I speak. And God, would you help each one of us hear what it is that you are saying to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in this series on why do we do what we do, and uh, today we're looking at why we have preaching in church. I think we all have uh, a picture in our mind, don't we, of of what preaching uh, looks like, and whether it's uh, John Humphreys on the Today program on Radio 4, who described the the thought for the day slot as deeply, deeply boring, and uh, Justin Webb saying they all say roughly the same, if everyone were nicer to everyone else, it would be fine. And uh, so you've got that over there. And then on the other extreme, you have uh, street preachers that seem to have no inhibition and even less tact. And uh, if I'm being honest, I sort of steer clear of both because neither are good for my blood pressure and I'm a man who cares about my health. Uh, Certainly today, uh, for me, tonight, it is weird to be preaching on preaching because you're all going to be judging me against how I'm doing and, and what I'm saying. It's all very meta, isn't it? I, uh, I take great comfort, though, that even the, uh, the Apostle Paul, that on one occasion he sent a listener to sleep, and they fell out of a window, and they died. And uh, Paul thought, well, I'd better raise uh, them from the dead, otherwise my preaching career is shot. Now, I hope that no one dies as a result of my preaching tonight, uh, but I, I hope we can set the bar a little bit higher than, than, than not death and not falling asleep. We know that preaching matters enormously. God is, after all, the great uh, communicator. He created the world by uh, speaking things into being. And we see in uh, John 1, it mirrors uh, Genesis 1, and we see there that Jesus is the Word. And how did Jesus seek to change the world? Well, well, part of the way that he did was through uh, preaching, was through teaching. And then we see uh, Peter, he launches the church with very effective preaching. So preaching isn't just something that happens in church, but preaching actually sort of launched the the church. And uh, we do well to learn from the past. We read there in in verse 14, uh, Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you've become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And Paul, he's writing here about the the godly women that have taught uh, Timothy the uh, scriptures. Now, uh, history uh, was my particular discipline of choice. And uh, we stand here today with an amazing heritage. We are the custodians of an amazing heritage within our own church, within the Anglican church. And we can look back much further than the late and the great uh, John Stott, uh, whether it's the the Book of Common Prayer and the creation of the Church of England and uh, the 39 Articles, which define the church as a congregation of the faithful where the word of God is preached. There's John Dunn, George Herbert, uh, John Keeble, J.C. Ryle. They all uh, preach their little hearts out on the topic of uh, preaching. And so we can stand here today in 2019 and say that if we're not, faithfully and fearlessly preaching the word of God. We are not proper Anglicans. But we have uh, more pressing reasons than uh, why we do what we do, than just our forebears and just our traditions. Let's take a a closer look at uh, this letter. 
As Tim mentioned, uh, whenever I uh, teach on this topic, I like to say that it's called to Timothy because the letter is written to Timothy. Uh, it's, it's written to a young church a leader called Timothy, not our very own Reverend Tim Jones, the newly uh, revved up Tim Jones. Um, yeah, indeed, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, Paul is writing to another Timothy here. But um, what we see, what he, we see he says here enables us all, not just the person with the microphone, but enables us all to effectively engage with preaching. And the, 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 the first thing to note is that we are commanded to preach. So chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Do you feel the sort of the force of this, the, the urgency here, that, that Paul, he's writing on behalf of Jesus Christ, who is coming back and will judge us all? And if we're going to be judged by Jesus, then, then where do we turn? Well, in verse 15, Paul writes that the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything that you need to know in order to be saved is right here in this book. You do not need a theology degree. Everything that you need to know for faith in Jesus Christ, for salvation, is right here in this book. And that is why Paul writes in verse 1, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. Not if you fancy it. I, not, I give you this option. I give you this possibility. But I give you this charge. There are many people that, that like to say, well, St. Francis of Assisi, he, he would often say, uh, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's complete garbage. It's total nonsense. Francis never said that. Francis preached an awful lot. He preached a huge amount. Because faith comes through hearing, and hearing the word of God. When I was saved... When Jesus saved me, Jesus was made real to me through effective preaching, through effective teaching of God's word. And preaching, it's gotten the Apostle Paul into all sorts of hot water. And he's, he's writing this letter from prison. And he's saying, preach in season and out of season. When the, uh, the, the famous American evangelist, D.L. Moody, came to London on one of his visits, uh, he was uh, staying at a hotel just overlooking Hyde Park, and uh, a, a bunch of uh, clergy went to visit him. And they went up to him and they said, Mr. Moody, you're, you're not very educated. We are much more educated than you are. And yet, we see so many people get saved at your gatherings. And they wanted to know what his secret was. They wanted to know what it was about his preaching. And he invited them over to, to the window. And he said, look out the window and tell me what you see. And one of the men said, well, I see, uh, I see two men walking along. And uh, another of the men said, I see a, a lady pushing a pram. And then eventually, uh, one of them uh, thought it was wise to ask Mr. Moody what he saw. And with tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, I see countless thousands of men and women who will spend eternity in hell if they do not find their Savior, Jesus Christ. We preach because it's a matter of life and death. 
we preach for salvation. We preach for salvation. We also preach for transformation, don't we? Because there's the fact that we want to live wisely and well. Each and every one of us does. You do not want to just sort of coast through life. You have aspirations, you have dreams, you have a a vision of the, the good life, and you want to be able to look back on your life and say, I lived my life well. So where do you turn? Well, have a look at verse 16. Have a look at verse 16. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, I do not get down on my knees with a copy of GQ or Tatler or an inspirational Instagram account and say, God, would you give me the words to say to the lovely people at HDC? No, I get down on my knees with the very words of God And I say, would you give me the words to say to the lovely people at HDC? I do not stand here or kneel here tonight with confidence in my own communication abilities. But I stand here with confidence that these words are the very words of God. And the world is very fuzzy on this at the moment, isn't it? Take the the phrase at the moment, my truth, my truth, that is sort of dominating public discourse. You know, this idea that I can have a truth and you can have a truth, and those things can be diametrically opposed, and yet they can still be objectively true at the same time. I mean, it's complete nonsense. It just doesn't make make any sense whatsoever. And yet it's dominating public discourse, and it's it's unhinging from reality, from being a a thinking human being. And, And we know that there is such a thing as the truth. There is the truth, and his name is Jesus, and you read about him in the Bible. We are to be people that believe in this truth. Mahatma Gandhi, he said, you Christians, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down, and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. Please, let's not be the people that treat this, this book as if it's just something that we picked up at Waterstones or on Amazon. Please, let's not be the people that wait until the next Sunday to mine the riches of the very words of God for your life. Because you and I, we have the same Holy Spirit who breathed this book into being, and he can reveal the scriptures to you. Do, do you ask him to, to speak to you through the Bible? when you come along to church, but also when you're reading the Bible at home. Why, why do we teach in church? Because we, we get so much teaching from the rest of the world. All day, every day, of the world's so-called wisdom. And often, the world does a better job of discipling us than the church does. But we need to be reminded that we are part of a bigger story, a better story, a much greater and a much grander narrative. We, we preach because the Bible is authoritative. When we uh, come on a Sunday, we're not coming along to a specific service because we happen to, to like the, the preacher. But it's so that we can live by the story of the Bible and by no other story. That we might be different, that we might be distinct, that we might march to a very different drumbeat to the rest of the world. Because a sermon is not here to entertain you or to pass the time or to give you something to talk about when you get home. Preaching is not for reflection. 
Preaching is for application. It's about how we, how we listen, how we lean in and listen to, to what we hear, and then how we implement what we've heard. Have a look at verse 16. Just by the way, you can, you can just, as, as you're reading this, just, you can just be checking, is Jamie Mulvaney making all this stuff up, or is he actually getting it from the Bible? It's a good test, just any Sunday as we're coming along. It says there, verse 16, not only is all Scripture uh, God-breathed, but all Scripture is useful. So that preaching is a, is a very practical thing. And reading the Bible for ourselves is a very practical thing. It's a very, very useful thing. And what does Paul say? For, for, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. We all have times, don't we, where we need comforting, when we've been disturbed. And then there are also times when we need to be taken out of our comfort zone. Because we know that the growth zone is not the comfort zone. In chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes, to endure hardship. Is, is there a challenge to your discipleship of Jesus Christ? Or is it, is it just comfortable Christianity? Because we're very willing to sacrifice in every area of our lives. When it comes to health, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to our careers, when it comes to fitness. But are we prepared to endure hardship? Are we prepared to endure sacrifice for Jesus? Are we ready to apply the teaching of God to our lives? It's about having our our heads, about our hearts, about having our actions being ready to change. Because in verse 3, Paul says, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. What if whatever we do, we we don't want to be like the people that step away from, from sound doctrine. So what do they do? We read there in verse 3 that they, they put their own desires first, their, their own passions that are not shaped by the word of God. And then this, we read, gives rise to an itch in the ear, which is also what we see in, in verse 3, that when your, your passions and your desires, when they uh, control your, your thinking and your behavior, then you tend to only gather teachers around you that tell you uh, exactly what you want to hear and creates an echo chamber. Does any of this ring any bells in the 21st century? If God hasn't challenged your thinking lately, either you're not engaging with him by his word, or it's possible that you've created God as a bigger version of yourself. And then we end up in myths instead of truth. We end up in myths. What does Paul mean by myths? Well, a big myth at the time was is that all there is is the here and now, to not live life in light of eternity. YOLO. Is the story of the Bible shaping you? Or are you trying to fit it into your narrative as and when it suits you? Elsewhere to Timothy, uh, Paul writes about those who are depraved in mind. Which is, in other words, it's saying not, not healthy. That those who are, who are deprived of the truth. And we know that the truth is the gospel. Back to verse 15. Uh, Paul writes, The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what is at the heart of um, the sound doctrine that creates healthy teaching. And this, 
this core of what sound doctrine is, this core of what healthy teaching is, it's reinforced in verse 5 because he ends that passage by saying, do the work of an evangelist. Or in other words, do the work of a gospeler. It's not just preaching to the unconverted, but preaching to the converted, absolutely. A Christian tonight, you need the gospel just as much as the non-Christian. You know, when I preach, the, the main thing I want to happen is for the Holy Spirit to, to shift our desires away from passions for the world and onto the Word, that he would reform us and reshape us and that we'd have our hearts, our minds expanded and, and opened and softened to this glorious gospel. In um, verse 17... What we, what we lose from the, the translation from the Greek there is that we are to be complete. That, that Jesus, he, he wants whole people and he wants holy people. That Jesus, he, he hates sin. He finds it abhorrent. And yet he was willing to become sin for you and me so that we might know the righteousness of God. And I worry that it has been lost on our generation, this, this whole area of holiness, that, that we might in fact be distinct as followers of Jesus Christ, that we might march to a different drumbeat to the rest of the world, that we might be people that, that die to self and live for Christ more and more and are more and more clothed in his righteousness. And because we've been reshaped, because we've been reformed by this glorious gospel, by the power of Jesus in his Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would be living distinctively Christian lives. You and I were made for more. And all of this is so that in verse 17, so that we, the servants of God, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the, the, the discipleship of Jesus involves a being with Jesus and becoming like him and then doing what he does. You and I won't remember every meal that we've ever eaten in our lives. But each one of those meals has nourished us and fed us and empowered us to do the work that we do during the week. And each of the meals that you hear on a Sunday here, each of the times that you, you feed on the Bible, you might not remember that as being a cracking preach in years to come, but it will have fed you, it will have nourished you if you've applied it to your life to sustain you and to empower you, to equip you to do the work of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why do we listen to preaching? Well, because we're commanded to. Jesus tells us to. Because we, we preach from the Bible, the very words of God that contain everything we need, the, the authority of Scripture. We preach for, for salvation and we preach for transformation because you and I are made for more. In an age of self-help, in an age of podcasts, in an age of inspiring TED Talks, in an age of buzz feed, in an age where you and I want to learn in an increasing measure, understanding the authority of Scripture and listening to sound doctrine, listening to sound preaching has never been more important. 
You know, on the, on the weekend, I, I used to pull apart the supplements of the, of the weekend papers. And sometimes there's interesting things in there, and sometimes there's not. But I never feel fed. And today's newspapers will end up lining tomorrow's waste paper bins. And I go away feeling empty. You and I were made for more than what the world offers us. As Thomas Cramer put it in the introduction to uh, the great Bible of 1540, he said, in the scriptures be the fat pastures of the soul. Do you taste? Do you chew on? Do you get all the nutrients out of what we see here in this book during the week? Every uh, every now and again, uh, people come up to me and the, the, the gist of what they're about to say, um, is really along the lines of this. It's, uh, Jamie, I, I've, I've been to Sunday school. I, I, I know that the answer to every question is Jesus. But when are we going to get more meat? And I, I, I'm always intrigued by what they mean when they uh, say that. You know, they're a bit like the, the European Union, sort of defining what, what's a burger and what's a, a vegan disc. You know, by, by the way, when, when, when people ask for more meat, you know, it really doesn't matter whether they, they would call themselves uh, conservative or, or liberal or, or mineral. I'm, I'm just fascinated by what on earth they mean when they uh, say they want more meat. Someone uh, sent me this from the, the butcher yesterday, and it's a slice of meat, and it's called Jesus. Now, I don't know whether that offends you, uh, personally, I'm just grateful for the sermon illustration. <laughs> because the only meat, the only message is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did not primarily come to be a good example. Although there's never been a better example of a human being than Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not primarily come to be a good teacher. Although the world has never, ever developed on the teachings of Jesus Christ. But primarily, Jesus came to die. He is the message. Jesus says that he is the truth. Proper preaching is never about principles, but it's always about a person. And in Jesus, we find the only one who has lived the perfectly wise, the perfectly well life that you and I were made for, the complete life, the holy life, Do you want to live wisely and well? The message of Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. And that's what the word gospel means. The word gospel means good news. And then the word as sort of preach, it doesn't mean sort of of to dispassionately sort of dispense information, but it's sort of to to say passionately what has happened. It's it's, it's like being a, a town crier that is declaring that the rightful king has returned home to claim his kingdom. And that this king has not returned by a coup, he's not returned by political force, but he's returned by being nailed to a cross. To die for all the ways in which you and I do not live wisely and well. To die for all the ways in which you and I fall short. We read in chapter 4 verse 1 that this king is coming back. Does that fill you with dread, or does it fill you with longing? 
In that first song we sang tonight, when we got to the line about Jesus coming back, I was a complete wreck. More and more I find myself praying, come Lord Jesus. What we see going on in our world today with the needs that we see around us, I long for the day that Jesus returns. Does that day fill you with dread? Or does that day fill you with hope? So we, we cast aside, we cast aside the ever-changing narratives of the world and we stay true to the never-changing word of God. And this word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in him and only in him we find fullness of grace and fullness of truth. And this word will not return empty, but it will accomplish what it meant. You and I were made for more. You and I were made for more than the the stories the world is telling us. You and I were made for more than even the stories that we're telling ourselves. You and I were made for a grand epic, a, a greater narrative that goes far beyond our own little lives. And that is why we preach in church. In uh, America, uh, there was this uh, summer camp, and uh, there was this boy called Billy who was on the the summer camp. And uh, Billy had cerebral palsy, and he couldn't walk properly, and he couldn't talk properly. And on on this particular camp, the other kids uh, made fun of him, and they teased him, and they mocked him. They imitated him. They, They took the mickey out of him. And every morning, uh, there'd be a time of uh, devotional. And uh, the different groups in the camp uh, took it in turns to lead the devotional. And on this one particular morning, it was Billy's group's turn to lead the devotional. And they they thought it would be funny to get Billy to lead the talk. You know, he could barely get a sentence out. It makes your blood boil, doesn't it? And as he was uh, walking very awkwardly and slowly uh, up to the pulpit, uh, the kids were were sniggering and uh, they were laughing at him and the whole camp was laughing. And when he got to the the pulpit, he he turned around and uh, with every bit of energy that he could muster, he said this. He said, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus it took him five minutes to say those seven words and children fell to their knees and some began crying and the spirit began to move And there are so many people in America today that say they are in pastoral ministry because of a talk that they heard on a camp by a boy named Billy. It's the the truth of God's word and it's the love of Jesus Christ that has the power to change lives. Amen.